From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Danda, and I have my awesome co-host today as well, Vera Mehet. How are you doing? Hello, Paddy. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. You trusted me enough to come back. I always trust you, Vera. You're one of my most trusted people that I know. You have nothing to worry about there. But how have you been doing the last few weeks? Yeah, it's been good. I've actually been like planning holidays and things like that and new projects. I'm kind of in that new space wanting to try out new things at the moment. So any new learning from today's podcast would be uh, very welcome. Yay. How are you doing? I feel refreshed. I took the family to Dubai recently and uh, yeah, my tan's gone, but hey, that usually lasts about a day. But yeah, really feeling good and vibrant and positive. I think you know, we all need that downtime every now and again. And your holiday had a happy ending, didn't it? Yeah. So my son, who's 10, and I'll just put this out there, he's been going on about wanting to swim with a dolphin for about four years now. And we just couldn't make that happen with lockdown and everything else. And finally got to fulfill his little dream and we got him to swim with a dolphin and he's elated over the moon. Yeah. So Vera, in today's episode, we have somebody who has an software engineering background, I believe. It's somebody that you know quite well. I don't. So I'm really looking forward to this episode because it's my opportunity to get to know them. But what was really interesting was I think you could tell a lot about a person just by looking at their chair. Like I see your chair and you feel like a very calm, relaxed type of person, someone who is very reassuring. I don't know what my chair says to you, but yeah, what would you say? I'd say fun. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's quite boring, actually, but yeah. Let's introduce the next guest. So Vera, who is our guest today? So our guest is a very special person, a special person to me, because I'll tell you, he's one of the few people um, that I come away from a meeting and feel energized from. So I'm one of those, you know, introverts after enough meetings, you know, I I couldn't stand another one. But Chris is the opposite. Oh, I gave his name away. (laughs) His name is Chris Cooney and he is a principal engineer. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Thank you very much, Vera. Yeah, I don't know what my chair says about me. I'm not sure. Experiencing chair envy slightly, I kind of want a more chilled out chair. And I think my chair is very intense. Like there's a lot going on here. There's even like these handle things. I don't really know what they're for. Other than sort of yeah. Racing aesthetic. I, it, it says Starship Enterprise to me. So you're almost like Captain Kirk. My ego loves that. I, I definitely yeah. could vibe with that 100%. Like cool. Right from now on, Captain Kirk, rest of the podcast. Thank you. And we were talking just before we kicked off about some of the sort of signals behind you that show us that you're a software engineer and there's a few little gizmos you've got there. Would you like to share what you've got? I mean, I, like I was saying before, I, I, I purchased this microphone. I don't know, don't know what to do with it. I, I only recently learned what this thing's called, the, the, the shield in front of the microphone, the pop shield. Apparently it stops the, the hard P sounds. Yes, Paddy, you're next. Yeah. Well, I see. Yeah. yeah, those, those, yeah. I learned, a friend of mine told me they're called plosive sounds. 
I don't have a clue what plosive sounds are. Sounds very technical, but knowing it makes me seem like I know what I'm talking about. And that's yeah. all the trick. That's the trick of the game. And yeah, I just have various props behind me. Books, so everyone thinks I'm smarter than I am. And a guitar, so people think I'm more interesting than I am. And that's the goal, you see. That's the trick, is to keep the illusion going as long as possible. And the beauty of online meetings as well is I only have to keep the illusion in this small area of the room. If I was to pan the camera this way, you would see a whole just... Oh, oh, it'd be a whole different story. Like if that was the background, you'd be worried. You'd be like, Chris, are you okay? Is everything okay? <laughs> so yeah, I, I, it's a well-orchestrated set right now. I was going to say your books are very well uh, aligned. They're very neat as well. So that probably says a lot about you. Worryingly, yes. So it, they may or may not be organized by author. And <laughs> I just don't, I, like, I don't know why, but I, I get a great deal of satisfaction out of like having so, any kind of organizational system, whatever. So as long as it's not completely random, I'm fine with it. So it used to be by color, which I found really, really pleasing to look at. Like it was so, so satisfying. And then I realized I can't find any of the books anymore because I'm like, I don't think about like, what, that, that yellow book? Like, so now they're organized by author and more loosely by topic generally. Although I have been pulling a few off the shelf recently. So there are a few that are breaking the system. So you've reminded me of it now. So as soon as this podcast is over, I'm going straight back there. Both of you have bookshelves and I forgot what you call it, popsicle. But talking of your bookshelf, actually, so I know that you have books on all sorts of topics. Yes. How's it been for you being somebody who likes to dip into lots of different things? Yeah, you know, um, so very, very early on, it's really interesting watching. I've been software engineer now for seven years um, in various different capacities and different companies. And what I've found is that the attitude to software engineers has changed quite dramatically over the past few years, the very first company I worked for, software engineers were in the back room and we were just like, we have no idea what these people do. They just do stuff and all the website works and it's fine, you know? And we, they knew they needed us around in the company, but they had no idea. And so there was a this fundamental misunderstanding of what software engineering was. And that still is the case now, actually. It's really, really common in the industry. But for me personally, as someone who liked to go and talk to people and meet people, I'd want to go and talk about the work I was doing, but I would just kind of get very little back because they'd be like, look, we, we don't know what Java is. And they'd be like, that's a good point. Yeah, fair enough. And I, you know, and I'd have to sort of start from 101. And I found myself um, explaining software engineering a lot to a lot of different people. Um, so the extroversion thing has been incredibly helpful, actually, for a number of reasons. One is because I have found that the more I talk about software engineering, the more I engage with people, the deeper my understanding of the topic becomes. And then when I sit down and write some more code, actually, I can remember the conversations and I can think, well, actually, I realize this is a problem and I can fix that, you know? Um, and so the conversation is an act of learning and processing as much as it is an act of sharing. So that's been really, really helpful for me. And I, the big revelation when I was like 23, 24 was that I just learned by going and talking to people. I don't really learn particularly well from sitting. I learn okay from doing, so writing code and and practicing and, and testing out concepts in, in an actual running piece of software. But actually the, the real light bulb moments are when I'm in the middle of a conversation with someone, that's when all the real sort of revelations happen. And I suppose the only barrier with that was that as an extrovert, as a software engineer, you're not expected to be an extrovert. You're expected to be very, very introverted, like lots and lots of software engineers are. And so this whole conversation-based learning thing is often not the first instinct for how a software engineering function is around. It's in fact, it's Every, they just want to be left alone. Give them the docs, let them read the specs, and they'll they'll just sort of get on with it. You know, it's one of the reasons why I enjoy agile so much. The, the emphasis on collaboration, the emphasis on conversation, is is it really appeals to me personally. So if, whether I was a software engineer, or I was an office temp, or whatever, hearing that would have appealed to me in regardless of whatever capacity I was sort of filling in the company. And I suppose the only other 
to, to fully answer your question, that the being a bit of a generalist. In a software engineering context, if someone says I'm a generalist, what they generally mean is generally, I say generally one more time, but what they mean is that um, they have a wide array of tech interests, typically. So you, you, if a software engineer says I'm a bit of a generalist, what, they, what, what often they mean is that, well, sometimes I think about compilers and sometimes I think about web, web design and sometimes I think about DevOps and the DevOps tool chain. And, but it's all typically in this sort of boundary of technology. And I was like that for a couple of years, but actually over the, over the years, it's got broader and broader and broader. So I've ended up reading about history, geography, the shelf in the, in the camera now, loads and loads of fiction, lots of philosophy, lots of science fiction as well, all sorts of different things. And I found that actually my sort of desire for generality goes far, far beyond technology. I go way, way across too many things actually. So sometimes I struggle to get a bit of a depth in stuff. And so finding companies that have facilitated and supported and actually encouraged that kind of generalist mindset, generalist to the extreme where I can go and sit with someone in HR and find out what the HR policy is on something and genuinely be interested. That's, that's been a challenge. So I think generally speaking, the software engineering industry is very focused towards introverted, specialized people, and then they're expected to become more general. And it's not used to extroverted general people who then it has to encourage to be more specialized. Those things are, you know, so often been the odd one out in, in the software engineering communities that I've been part of, for sure. So have there been times where it hasn't been easy? Yeah, definitely. Um, I worked at a really great startup and I mean, I mean, objectively brilliant company. They'd found a really great environment for creating software where the engineers had some input into the high level and they had direct uh, customer feedback coming straight to them. They were building really great, really sophisticated software, actually very impressive. Um, but the way it was, was they were kind of encouraged to not just write the code, because that sounds like they were being forced, but the whole company was set up such that the way they perform the best is if they just get on with writing the code. And they can optionally, if they really, really want, sort of push the way up. I was there for a while and I was miserable. And and it was because I was writing code every day and it was it was intellectually very interesting. The chat, the problems they were overcoming from an engineering perspective were fascinating. But the the satisfaction just wasn't there. I couldn't really work out why. And in the end, I sort of got I came to the conclusion that actually there's not enough breadth. There's not enough stuff to do. And and I was very highly specialized in that role, uh, which was great for a few months. But after a while, I was like, this is not this is not for me, actually. I'm, I'm, I've, I've actually, I felt like I'd taken a bit of a step back, actually. So yes, finding the right company has been difficult because the on-paper definition of what makes a great software engineering company is often not the right environment for me. And sometimes actually the really chaotic, crazy companies are the ones that I really, really enjoy because there's so much going on, there's so much to get involved in and you're encouraged to do all of it because it's crazy rather than the really, really sensible, well-crafted companies that are built for you know creating great software. Those I struggle with because I'm like, well, I don't just want to do that. Could I do something else, please? And often the answer is, well, no, you're hired as a software engineer, which is kind of fair enough, I suppose. So yes, that's definitely been a challenge for sure. And then also, Paddy, not sure if you know, but Chris has grown into a leadership role at Sainsbury's. So Chris, how has that been for you? Did it suit you straight away? Have you enjoyed it? Are there things you don't enjoy about it? Yeah. Ooh, it's a good question. What I would say is that um, I have found that when you're in a leadership role, taking time to mentor people is considered a sort of part of your core responsibility. Actually, it's a thing that you should 100% be doing all the time. And in good software houses, engineers are encouraged to mentor people, but it's like as an ancillary thing, you know, it's you're a great software engineer, you write brilliant code and you spend some time mentoring people. Whereas when you do the leadership thing, 
you spend loads of time coaching and mentoring people and some time writing code, as much time as you can kind of get in. And then the rest of the time is sort of admin and, and whatever else kind of comes with the role. And as you know, Vera, I absolutely love coaching and mentoring people. It is a hundred percent number one, one of my passions. I've talked to Vera about this before, but um, I often think there's a misconception with how people organize their work. So I think what people do is they try to balance work versus not work. So they maintain loads of gaps in their calendars and call that rest. And I started to refer to that as like decompression time about a year ago. So about roughly when I got into the leadership role, my workload got a lot sharper, a lot, lot steeper. And I thought, well, I'm not managing this very well. What's going on here? And I realized that what I was doing was I was creating gaps in the calendar and I was decompressing in those gaps, but I wasn't recharging. So I was spending all this energy and then I was relaxing in the gaps, but then the energy just wasn't there. And I realized that actually um, you need a bit of decompression time, but more than that, or at least for me, more than that, is I need recharging time. So I need, so I started to categorize tasks as energy drainers and like sort of things that recharge your batteries. I started calling them drainers and gainers, but that feels way new, way too like salesy. Like I'm going to start like a sort of motivational speaking course. So I've just things that drain your time, the things that drain your energy, things that give you energy and start to balance them like that. And what I found was that I can take a, a sort of admin task that I found a bit of a drain or a much more sort of responsibility that I've just got to do as part of the obligations of the role. And I do it and I'm a bit like, oh, but then I go into a mentoring session and I come out of that and I'm way up again. And the batteries are sort of really recharged again. And I have much more momentum and energy to push on into maybe some of the other energy draining tasks. And the only downside is that is you, sometimes you, you, you're in meetings with people and it's an energy draining task, you know, and you, you can't really tell them that because it's not very nice. So you have to sort of keep that bit to yourself. But, um, Thinking about it this way has massively helped um, me sort of transition into more of a leadership role. The big distinction I also found was that as a software engineer, your time is like the organization tends to protect your time as much as possible. They will like make sure you have these big contiguous blocks of time so you can write code and solve problems. And as soon as you shift away from being an individual contributor who writes code to somebody who either manages other people or handles the strategy or whatever, no one's protecting your time anymore. Your time is like fair game. And so it, things just get thrown in. That was a massive shift for me, like huge. And I was like, why have I got no gaps in my cat? What's going on here? And I realized like having to pre-block gaps and stuff was just a thing, a little trick that I had to learn. But then balancing the workload was really the, the really the, the sort of thing that got it all going. And after that, it was, it's been not been, it's not been easy, difficult points, easy points, like, like anything, but it's much, much more manageable. And it's like a mechanism that I can twist. So if I'm feeling a bit deflated after, you know, for, for, for a couple of days, I think I'm really running out of steam here, just front load, loads of energizing stuff, mentor loads of people, do some coding sessions with people, whatever it is. And then after a couple of days, call around back on the horse again, let's do this, you know? So it's been a real, that was a real revelation for me getting that, getting stuck into that. It was really, really useful. Believe it or not, Vera, I used to be a software engineer <laughs> way, way back. That was the first role that I started off in. And I'm sure it was way different to how things are done now, but we did things like C programming and Pro-C and PLSQL and all that good stuff. But talking about mentoring and, and leadership, it's really interesting. I remember at the time I had a fantastic manager. He was awesome. He was so passionate about coding. He, he really didn't have any management skills, if I'm honest. He was just an exceptional programmer. And I think a lot of technical people, they often get promoted and then just are given the management responsibility when actually, I think for many of them, they perhaps would be better off without that because they are just so good at what they do. And then when they get that extra responsibility, it can sometimes disrupt 
what they're really good at. I found that with him because he loved coding and what it meant was he was now being pulled away from the things that he really was passionate about and doing a lot more of the admin and all of those things. So what's your experience been there, Chris? Has it ended up in a similar sort of way for you or do you have a good balance now, do you think? I was really lucky that I was, I, I'm part of a leadership team and the leadership team took time before I joined that team to really like, what, what is it that really motivates you? And I was like mentoring people and writing code. And they were like, right, we need to make sure that we're preserving some of that in your time. But they said that they were really clear that actually, um, it was kind of on me to, to but they, they, they set that mission in front of me. You know, they, they, they said to me, look, here's what's going to happen. Lots and lots of people are going to want your time. Lots and lots of people are going to be, you're going to be very, very busy. It's up to you to craft your time as you see fit and we'll, we'll support you in that, you know? And so I really, really enjoyed that. And, you know, I don't always hit the mark, you know, sometimes you miss, you have a week where it's like, you just full admin or full, you know, complicated activities that aren't really where your passions are. You know, it's life, you know, and, and stuff like that. But you, you kind of, you know that next week, because you've got a lot of stuff out of the way, of course, going to be a lot of mentoring, it's going to be a lot of coding, it's going to be really interesting. Really interesting point about what you said about software engineers suddenly getting promoted into management. So it's a mixture of stuff that, right? Like one is the the sort of corporate, I don't know, cognitive dissonance of like, this person's a very effective software engineer, which is fundamentally like an academic sort of creative activity. And and then you you take this thing, and they're great at software engineering, we're going to make them responsible for the well-being of other people. And it's like, well, there's this giant chasm there, you know, that's really strange. I, I've never really understood why that happens. Um, and I think it's just because often in my experience, it's because this person is great, we don't want to leave and we can't give them a promotion anymore because they're kind of at the top of the coding ladder, we'll make them a manager. And and that's, that's often the case. But the other thing is the Peter principle, right? You take a really clever person and you just keep promoting them until they become incompetent, quote unquote, incompetent. And because they, they, the responsibilities of their role are vastly different to the things that they're good at or because it's just simply too much for them. And that's something that companies do as well. That's why I really enjoy the uh, Kim's Kim, Radical Candor, where they talk about different individuals and they have different growth trajectories. So rather than thinking about people who perform really, really well and people who aren't performing well, you talked about what do you want out of your role right now? Do you want more money? Do you want more responsibility? Or are you quite happy where you're at, you know? And you define a growth trajectory with that person that fits what they want. So it could be a, a nice flat line. It's like, look, you, you just hold, you're in a holding pattern right now. Maybe you've got stuff going on personally. Maybe you've got different priorities in your life right now. That's cool. We'll keep you in a holding pattern. Um, some people are incredibly ambitious and you make it very, very steep. And some people are just kind of at like a slow and steady growth, you know? I think what organizations sometimes do is they impose progress on people. And they force people up a, up a trajectory that they're not comfortable with. I've actually had the opposite problem. I, I couldn't couldn't grow fast enough. Like I, I'm super ambitious. I've always been and just super wanting to grow and and, and, and try a new challenge. And every, every time I've got one challenge out of the way, sometimes I haven't even got it out of the way. And I'm like, what's next? What's next? What's going on next? You know, I think that's had its pros and its cons, right? Like the pros are that, that that enthusiasm and that energy gets you, pushes you forward and keeps you motivated. The cons are that sometimes you get faced with problems and you're like, oh no, oh no, what the hell is this? And you have to draft in help and stuff. But it's been a really interesting seven years to say the least because of that attitude. Oh. So, so yeah, it's, the, the shift to leadership has been a strange one for sure. Especially since in previous roles, I was unofficially in leadership. Like I was a software engineer on paper, but also part of the team of people that helped run the office or part of the team of people that helped decide the technical strategy for the teams and things like that. Whereas now I am officially in that position. So before I could just kind of, well, I'm a software engineer and this is just my opinion. Whereas now it's like, I'm the principal engineer and I have to have an opinion that, that is, is, is valid and well thought out and resonates with the people that I'm allegedly leading and all that sort of thing. That's a bit more of a responsibility, a bit more of a burden for sure. I love Radical Candor, by the way. It's, it's such a cool book. And it just reminded me of this manager uh, that I was telling you about how sometimes when someone is putting that management position, 
and isn't really equipped for that. I remember him, we were away on business and I was a young graduate and uh, he said, right, we're all going to go to the cinema. And I was like, can we do that? Yeah, because if I was at home right now, I'd be going to the cinema. So strictly speaking, the company should be paying for us to go to the cinema. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's not the way it works, but hey, you're the manager. If that's what is okay, well, let's do it. So we went out and watched a film, but I'm sure that wasn't part of the HR policy. <laughs> Again, this is someone who had a different mindset when it comes to management. You know, they probably weren't quite of that ilk of that corporate brain. But now I'm going to ask a question selfishly, one that is really geared towards my kids. So I have a daughter who's 12 and a son who's 10, and they're both very, very different. And I guess if you were giving someone advice who is growing up in today's age, how would they know whether software engineering was something for them? First things first, I would always say to them, don't be, don't be constrained by the type of person that you are. I'd, I'd literally experienced that. You know, if, if, if somebody was to describe a classic software engineer, you introverted is almost the very, very first thing on the list, right? Introverted, highly detail oriented is another one that people um, usually come up with. And actually, I think that you don't have to be those things. You can learn to be those things or you can learn to... Um, manage those things uh, in order in the in the fulfillment of your role so for example naturally i'm not a super detail oriented person quite high level and i like to think about things in an abstract sense but as a software engineer i recognize the importance of being detail oriented so i can turn my mind to that and focus on that so that would be the first piece of advice is if you don't feel like you're the type of person to be a software engineer there is no type of person to be a software engineer there are just people who can write code and people who can't write code that's just reality and anyone can move from the left to the right right anyone can move from being someone that doesn't write code to people who can write code especially now the second thing i would say is do not trust anybody else's descriptions of software engineering because i had an interesting debate the other day um we can't even decide on what software engineering the definition of software engineering is so i talked about software engineering being this like creative and academic pursuit and someone said no, no no that's not that's programming that's not software engineering and i was like that's the first time I've heard that distinction. I thought it was really strange. Didn't agree at all. It just and and so when when people say, "Oh, do you want to be a programmer? Or do you want to be a software engineer?" Abandon all that. I I think just leave all that by the wayside. Just go and try some stuff. So definitely talking to people and definitely engaging with software engineers. But ultimately, the thing you'll be doing as a software engineer for the most of your time is writing code and dealing with other people's code. So just go and try it. And if you like it, if you enjoy it, I think that's pretty much all you need. To be honest, I'm not a big big. There are there are obviously people who are naturally talented and people who aren't necessarily naturally talented. But I think that with some consistency and some passion and some hard work, you can you can definitely become a professional software engineer. You see it all the time. The amount of people that are retraining now into technology is vast. So 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 definitely, I think if someone's getting into the field, the, do not be constrained by personality type. Try software engineering yourself. And that means some coding tutorials online, whether you try little algorithm challenges, whether you mess around with frameworks and libraries, or whether you go to meetups and listen to other software, engineering, software engineers talk about it. A great early indicator, actually, I found uh, for me was, ooh, I was 16 when I wrote the first sort of properly started writing code. And, and I remember I did it and I was like, this is kind of cool. I really enjoy this. Uh, but I found even then that actually what I really, really liked was after I'd finished writing the code, going talking to the people in my college class about the code we'd all written. And I found that actually the real, the real, the cogs really start spinning for me when I'm talking about technology. That was the, that was when it really is really, really interesting to me. And the coding thing was um, academically satisfying, interesting, something that I, I really enjoy, but it, it wasn't the sort of jackpot, sort of all the lights turn on kind of moment that I got when I was talking about coding. So coding doesn't have to be your 
100% passion. It doesn't have to be the be all and end all of your existence for, to be a great software engineer. You just have to be consistent and, 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 and put some effort in and, and, you know, and be ready to do some of the work. So yeah, I think if you go to meetups and stuff, it's a really great way of, if you can sit there and you're not really a hundred percent sure what the topic is or what's going on, but you can pick out a few bits and it's really interesting. You can talk to people and find a bit of a back and forth conversationalist, especially if you're an extrovert person. Those are all really great early indicators that software engineering might be for you. Um, but I really do think that the one thing that matters more than anything else is you enjoy the field. Like you don't have to be great at maths. You don't have to be great at lateral thinking. You don't have to be great at critical thinking or any of this sort of stuff. You just have to really enjoy software engineering. Um, or you have to quite enjoy it, I think, because in the process of doing those things, in the process of chasing after your own passion, you are going to develop those other skills as needed, you know? And I think that's a really, that, that's, that was the way that I approached it. It's the way lots of people that I know approached it. And I've mentored quite a few people over the years. And that's how I've encouraged all of them to approach it. And almost always it's been successful. And by success, I include them deciding it's not for them in that successful category. They're just going, you know what, actually, I'm really not enjoying this. I'm, I'm, I'm waking up every day and dreading it. I'm forcing myself. I'm like, cool, find something else. You know? So yeah, if you enjoy it, I think is the headline there.